Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Okay, well, you know what? Deanna, I think we're ready and more people will show up as we continue to do it. Welcome everybody to uh, Recovered Life Discussions. The name of the room is We Rewire Your Brain, not We Wire, Rewire Your Brain. And uh, we have been in a series uh, for I cannot believe it, but about 10 weeks, and it has been such a helpful, wonderful discussion. Uh, We are reviewing or doing kind of a book club on Brene Brown's latest book that was published in February, uh, The Atlas of the Heart. And so just to introduce myself um, and set kind of the rules or the parameters in which we run this recovered life discussion. I'm Christina Dennis. I am a recovery coach and an expert in breaking codependent patterns, releasing trauma from the past. And my co-mod Deanna is here with us. Um, Hello. We, um, this room is, this discussion will be rebroadcasted. So when you come up Uh, and I hope several people will come up. I want you to focus on positive comments, you know, respectful comments, but also use your first name only since this does uh, get rebroadcasted. I want to protect everybody's anonymity. And uh, for those of you that are here already, I just welcome you. Today we are discussing chapter 10 specifically. And, I love the format of the room is people who want to join the discussion come up. I share information and notes and Deanna uh, shares her responses to the book and reading the chapter. And it's been just an amazing, amazing partnership and practice. So for those of you who are not familiar with the book, don't worry because each chapter is kind of within itself and self-containing and, uh, you can join the recovered life community i've placed the link and get notes to past chapters you will not be lost um, if you stick around and haven't seen or heard uh, the previous and you do not have to have read the book to get something out of the conversation Um, deanna i wonder if you could share the title of it and the name of the emotions um, with everybody I can, but before I do, um, mm-hmm. where did we leave off last week? Are we still on chapter 10, places we go when the heart is open? No, places we go when life is good. Perfect. You said chapter 10 when we opened. And I, I was did. Like, no. It's chapter 11. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. We are on chapter 11, places Yay! we go when life is good. And it is good. And the emotions we will be discussing today, which I which I did read, by the way, twice. I know. <laughs> joy, <laughs> joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding joy, relief, and tranquility. 
it's kind it's super you know when i got to the name of the chapter because i've been taking it one chapter at a time and studying it when i got to this one i thought oh my goodness there's some good ones in here uh, i i know that in uh, weeks prior there have been some really heavy emotions that we've been discussed, but you know the purpose of discussing these emotions um, and the reason why it is in the neuro room for recovered life is because uh, we've seen evidence have seen studies have shown that the more we the more language we have around things, the more uh, understanding and definitions, the more that we can rewire our brain with this and. Uh, I know that we'll probably get through, I'm guessing the first four, joy, happiness, calm, and contentment, but I'm super excited about sharing these because it really has given me a new perspective on some of these things. And so I hope um, for those of you who have joined the conversation previously in the past, I see some of you in the listening lounge, please feel free to raise your hand um, or Dan will start inviting you up um for uh adding in your reflections there's there's just i mean this is a discussion and we want to hear what everybody has to say and so very excited to discuss joy and happiness now deanna had you ever considered the differences between joy and happiness prior to this deep dive i would say that i have a little bit um the way I would have thought about it before this deep dive, which did change it a little bit, was I feel joy deep, deep down in my heart. And I think that's from growing up in a church and singing songs about it. Mm. And, grat and I'm sorry, and happiness is what makes, think this is just where, before I read the chapter, things that make me smile, I'm, mm. I feel happy. That's where I started the chapter, is a deep joy and a, maybe a superficial happiness. But getting into this book, I, I now have a better understanding of it, which is very nice. That's cool. I, I'm, I, I think, you know, I have uh, studied the differences between joy and happiness prior to reading this book, but I really love how she presents it. You know, many people may not know that there is a difference between joy and happiness, but, and so she opens the chapter by explaining there is a distinct difference between them. And so I'll run in, uh, I'll run down the definitions of joy and happiness. Joy is a sudden, unexpected, short-lasting, high-intensity emotion. Um, it's characterized by its connection with others or with God, nature, and the universe. Joy expands our thinking and attention and attention and fills us with freedom and abandon. Now, happiness is defined as stable, longer lasting, and normally the result of effort. It lowers in intensity than joy and it's more self-focused. With happiness, we feel a sense of being in control. Unlike joy, because it's more internal, happiness is more external and about circumstances. So I really, I really loved that, to think about that. And so as she moves on, because Brene Brown has presented a lot of information in previous books, she goes to share about the gifts of imperfection, um, which I think was her first book. 
and the difference between joy and happiness. And so she brings out the, you know, she does a lot of the etymology of words and shares, you know, the difference from theologian Anne Robertson. And the Greek word for happiness is mercurios. And it has previously been described and was used as a way to describe the freedom that the wealthy have from worry and care, which I thought was kind of interesting, right? Um, and that would have to be external. Whereas joy, the root of the word joy is Cairo or Cairo. And Cairo is a cum accumulation of being the good mood of the soul. Cairo is something that comes only from God and virtue. And it's not the beginning virtue, it's accumulation of virtue. The opposite is not sadness of joy. The op opposite is fear. <laughs> and it really struck me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So agreeing with that, the opposite of joy is fear. And that one hit me. That that hit me hard when I was reading this. That was I had to sit and think with that because uh, I do have a lot of fear in my life and I'm just recognizing that. So now recognizing that joy is the opposite of fear is a game changer in my book. Well, I love the, the understanding of the differences between joy and happiness. And, uh, and so she goes on to describe it in the research. Um, she loves the, you know, I like this too, the good mood of the soul. But joy is an intense feeling, spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. People find experience of joy difficult to articulate, which I would totally agree with. The very nature of joy pushes the boundaries of our ability to communicate about lived experience via spoken language. And since language can shape lived experience, cultures that have more words to describe the emotions of joy may also actually experience joy more. I thought, wow, okay, so this is the main reason why we're studying this information, because the more access we have to spoken language, we know actually forms our experiences. Um, while experiencing joy, we don't lose ourselves, we become more fully ourselves. Um, joy, when you're experiencing joy, colors seem brighter, movements and actions are easier, and smiling is involuntary. It also can be described as including spontaneous weeping. You know, understanding the, list, the relationship between joy and gratitude. Reachers, researchers explain this as an intriguing upward spiral. But before we go further, I wanna see, um, Kathy, thanks for joining us. If you have any kind of um, feedback, both Deanna and, and Kathy, about how that lands on you, even, thinking about the difference between joy and happiness. Deanna? Oh, I would love Kathy to go. Please, yes, Kathy. Kathy, thank you. Oh, no pressure, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the Greek word for her I'm feeling is right now. Um, no, I, I think um, it's an important delineation, delineation rather, um, because, uh, you know, we can be, we, we like instant gratification uh, we're drawn to gratification. Uh, the more instant, the better. That that certainly makes me think of joy in my um, in my own addiction. Um, and I love the more words for happiness and joy 
the more it's talked about in in a in a culture um and more open and uh, that culture will be more open about it it's like the 50 words for snow myth um i i like that i i think that's a sign of a that's a sign of the kind of place you want to be <laughs> if you've got a lot of words for for the, the happy feelings in your life um i don't have anything particularly profound to say but um i did i did enjoy your cat chat so thank you very much oh thank you i um you know why i think it, not only does you know Brene brown explain the whole reason of writing this book was so that we could continue to grow our connections and have information so you know i agree with you kathy the more words the better but i never had i mean the thing that i always heard and this is the first time i was introduced to this concept is that you could still have joy in the midst of an unhappy life per se and i have to say this was really important for me when things were difficult and in my recovery things have been difficult and training my eyes to look for joy which is one of the reasons why they attach it to the practice of gratitude gave me moments in within really difficult years that i could have just the ability to see and knowing that you do not have to be happy you do not have to be having uh you know a life like circumstances can be incredibly difficult but you can still find joy is the way that i first started thinking about the difference between joy and happiness deanna i feel like you guys gave me a nice little alley-oop to talking about joy I, my brain is kind of just like scattered and I'm reaching for these thoughts and they just keep floating away because I am a very joyful person. I'm using my hands to talk if you can't see me. I love it. <laughs> you we see, believe you. But you can. <laughs> I am a very joyful person. Um, that doesn't mean I'm always happy. That doesn't mean I'm always smiling. Although I, I love something you said, Christina, is that joy connects us. And that isn't exactly what you said or what Brene Brown is saying. But for me, what's going through my head is mm -hmm. how many people I feel a deeper connection with when we experience joy together. And, and by that, I mean like looking at a flower and I see a flower and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can think of one right now. It's a, a bud of a flower, not even a flower yet. It's budding outside of my favorite restaurant. And the restaurant owner and I and my husband and anybody else that wants to enjoy it, we find joy just looking at the flowers. And as somebody who doesn't drive a car at the moment, I guess I do now, but mm -hmm. haven't driven in 16 years. And I am finding that walking, I love walking and I find joy in seeing somebody smile to someone else. And I am just like, I almost, it, it distracts me from um, being productive sometimes. So that's kind of why I'm having a hard time grasping my thoughts. It's because I'm so joyful sometimes. It feels uh, like it's hindering me, but it's <laughs> silly to say. That's so silly to say. So, so take it away, take it away. No, I'm glad that you said that because I do think that there is a tendency for people to squash other people's joy, you know, this, this idea. And that's one of the, I mean, being alive at this moment in time, seeing that we are 
transitioning perhaps from, you know, an insane pace and all about more, 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 you know, because she goes on to explain that when we discuss contentment, that I feel like, you know, we're paying we're paying reverence, we're being reverent around these moments of joy. And children can spontaneously do that. Children can find joy. And I can tell you that there have been many times in my childhood and when I'm working with people where that joy was squashed. And later on, I don't think we'll get to it today, we're gonna to discuss the, the concept of foreboding joy. And I think that that is, is something that um, that was absolutely taught to me, you know, as a way to avoid, you know, vulnerability. Um, I love the idea of this being an intriguing upward spiral. And what they are discussing, and this is with gratitude, trait gratitude predicts greater future experiences of joy. And if people remember at the beginning, we talked about the difference between trait and state. And state, so if you have state joy, you are talking about like an experience um, or let's say state happiness. This is, you know, based on hereditary, a lot of things outside of ourselves and this ability to be happy because I do believe there that that is not always the case. But trait means that it's who you are. It's inside of you. And so if we have trait joy, which we can grow, we create more experiences of gratitude. Um, situational joy has to do with the, you know, greater, um, greater prop uh, propensity to have a subjective of well-being. And I'm not sure that even made sense. I'm trying to decipher my notes. But practicing gratitude will increase our ability to have trait joy. And yesterday we did, in a Recovered Life discussion, we did an entire uh, book. Um, it was literally an article that I had found, The Science of Gratitude. And, you know, we've studied gratitude for the past 20 years as a society. But if you're in recovery and you have gone through any kind of 12-step program, we know that gratitude, the practice of gratitude, has been around as a way to actually um, help us with our addiction. And so that's how powerful it is. Um, she goes on to explain, and I love this idea uh, about the story between her and her younger daughter, Ellen, and the picture memory. Um, did you love that, Deanna? Yes, that was so sweet. And that's like a I'm, and helpful and helpful. Yes, definitely. I'm trying to find it in my in my notes here or in my book real quick. Yeah, if you can find it, I'd love for you to to read it. But you know, um, she discussed this is in her, one of her books, Daring Greatly. So if you are a follower of Brene Brown, you may have heard this story prior to but she is discussing that she took her first grade daughter and played hooky one day. Um, and was on a lake in a paddle boat. And she noticed that her daughter had stopped paddling and was looking toward the sky with her, you know, eyes closed. And she thought, oh, it's so, it's so beautiful. I'm just gonna watch her do this. And then after her daughter hadn't moved for about a minute, she asked her, are, are you okay? What's going on? And she responded, mama, I'm making a picture memory so that when I am sad, 
I can remember this, so I will be happy. And of course, her daughter, you know, had used happiness instead of joy. But what she was doing was literally rewiring her brain. And if you work with a coach or you've heard uh, Stacey Danford's information about the practice of gratitude, that is, that is what we have to do to take agency with our brainwaves, with our neural pathways, and capture moments so that we will remember them, but also will grow that neural pathway. And so I was thinking about some times in my life that... Um, and that I was able to do that and just intuitively knew, instinctually knew that I needed to take it in, shut my eyes and build that, that pathway um, so that I could extend the feeling of joy. I love that, Christina. I, I was thinking too that if anybody wants to uh, reflect on picture memories that they have had, just like Christina said. Um, I would love to hear them. I love hearing in other people's joy. And and I was just thinking of my own picture memory and something you said that you instinctually knew you needed to hold on to this memory. And I remember it just there's a place in California that I've experienced a lot of pain and hurt in. But it, among this time in my life, um, I was also going to college and I was taking a philosophy class on a third floor and I stopped one day and the sun was, I lived in Salinas, California, and the sun was setting as was a night class and I just stopped and I just took in this beautiful sunset and I had so much pain going on in my life that this sunset was just like, it. that was I, almost 20 years ago and I still carry this sunset in my in my mind and my heart and what kind of even made it even more impactful for me is my philosophy teacher was passing by because i was early was passing by to get to class and then he said in class he said i saw deanna watching the sunset i'm going to give her 10 extra credit points for doing that and then the next day everybody was standing with me to watch the sunset and i'm process sorry i'm taking so long but this is oh, a fun process wow, I realized then that I was I was kind of upset. I'm like, you just invited 40 people to <laughs> intrude on my space. And now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a missed opportunity for me to connect with those 40 people on a deeper level. <laughs> so I'm laughing about that now. But uh, yeah, I just, I like, I like hearing people's memories. So if anybody wants to share or throw it in the chat, that would be fun too. Yes, Thank you, Christina. Yes, that's exactly what I think is the important part of the distinction between joy and happiness. You know, my memory is uh, on my second, my uh, honeymoon to my son's father, and we were off the Nepali coast, and, and weddings are stressful, and, you know, new relationships are stressful, and all of that was coming up. And I, I just remember being in the presence of nature and how that made me feel. And because I took the time, you know, I put my hand on my chest, which is, you know, where the vagus nerve, you know, is over our heart and really took it in. And I can still remember how I felt at that moment. 
you know, like, wow. And it's interesting that you were talking about the stress because uh, I think it's the distinction, the difference between what's going on outside of us, you know, and then versus what's going on inside of us and that we can still have these great moments of joy within struggle. Um, Kathy, do you have a, an experience of joy that uh, occurred and you can pinpoint to it and feel it? Um, wow. Um, I have a few. I'm very lucky. I have a few. What one, one stands out. The, the one that jumped into my memory was, I think I must've been about 14, maybe 15 during my, uh, real jock years in school. And we were playing a game of bench ball and I made this, uh, <laughs> interception, um, and scored and everybody stopped and applauded and I felt pure joy in that moment. The exhilaration of making, I can still see, I can kind of see it as a spectator. Uh, I can feel the muscle memory of the run across the court, the jumping for the ball and then knowing everything was just the best of everything in the best of all possible worlds at that very moment in time. Um, and then turning around and, and really quite enjoying the uh, the applause as well, I have to say. It's a little bit of ego in there. But um, that that was pure joy, the action and the reaction. Um, so that would be my one. Thank you. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, you know, as listening to you share your story and Deanna listening to you share yours, I'm involuntarily smiling. You know, it's like... It, and, and that is why rewire your brain needs to be part of our recovery program, because I can sense and have evidence that joy is still accessible to me. And the more I see it, the more I will see it, which is that whole, you know, spiral, upward spiral that we're talking about. And welcome to the speaking stage. Have you had moments of joy? Well, hello, hello. Um, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy to say that I've had a lot of moments of joy. But what, what made me want to come up to, uh, to the set before that? What, what a great conversation as always. You know, Christina, Deanna, the the dynamic duo there. You know, the way you ping pong off of each other and just expand you know the, the whatever concept is being shared in the book i just i just want to acknowledge that and, and kathy always love your perspective too so anyways i wanted to acknowledge that because i was peacefully listening and then deanna said something i'm like i do that all the time and so the thing that actually brings me a lot of joy is um going back and looking at the same situation from a different perspective. Like Deanna was sharing about um, that day, she just enjoyed, you know, and then the next day she was mad because 40 other people were enjoying the sunset with her. How dare you invite these people into my space? And, you know, but the perspective I got, I'm like, what a beautiful gift to be able to give to those other 40 people in the room that were oblivious to that particular spot at that particular time that they too could enjoy it. So Deanna's the, you know, the messenger 
of the beauty that was just across the hall, you know? So that put a smile on my face. And what, what I've been doing, you know, this is something I've been practicing, gosh, for many years. And especially when um, I was told, uh, you know, a grateful alcoholic is a sober alcoholic. I'm like, I'm going to be grateful. And not that I'm grateful every single moment of my life. And I wish I was. But as I go through things and when I'm not so happy, I, I, I look at something that I'm grateful for and find a joy in it. And I, I, I will tell you, especially over the last couple of years and um, uh, with with my late husband and, you know, every relationship has, has ups and downs and I've been going through pictures to be, to give it to our daughter. I come across vacations. In this one particular one, we were in um, Yosemite, a beautiful, beautiful Yosemite, upstate California. Um, I mean, the pictures there, the, the views, and, you know, it was just the most beautiful vacation. And there were some tense moments during that vacation. But you know what? As I looked at those pictures, the beauty, where we were, the memory we made, it was just it just such joy. Um, the, so in other words, for me, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a choice of the perspective. You know, I'm not going to focus on, you know, who was stressed because we were all stressed or whatever. Like, we're not getting out of here fast enough. Instead, you know what? Look at where we are. Look at this beauty. The moment we sat there, looked at the sunset or whatever it was. And the memory of the three of us being in that particular spot at that time, that was our really full-on vacation with the three of us and you know so glad the pictures are there so anyways i'm kind of going on with it what i'm finding is that when i go back to look at pictures even at the darkest time in my uh um when i was out there you know there were some beautiful moments maybe they were in my drunken stupor but but those moments where i felt the freedom to to dance freely or to uh Sing freely, or just to talk with somebody because I had the courage that came from something. Those moments build on to each other, and I was able to pull on to that after after I came into the program to say, if I can do that with five or ten drinks in me, I can certainly do that now because I know I'm a lot more coherent. I know I don't look better when I when I'm you know all messed up. I know I can feel better, and so being able able to, to um, step into the joy. It might have been a splitting second, split second, but to be able to step into the joy of that moment and just say yes and gather strength from it. And uh, anyway, so I just, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I'm finding that like, I'm repeating it, but that's, that's, it, that's what I do. I just go back and I, I reinvent my past from a different perspective. And so uh, with that, I'm complete and I'll hand the mic back over to you. Thank you, Anne. I mean, I love that you brought up, you know, memories in the past that we can still find moments of joy, even if, you know, for instance, I had a, a fairly unhappy childhood, but I can reclaim my role in a lot of those moments and seek the joyful parts. And then we're, you know, while I'm doing that, I'm rewiring our, my brain. And if we, if I could reach back to some of the information that, uh, that we have shared in this room, uh, it, it's that whole idea of hope, 
and that hope is a cognitive experience, not uh, an emotion. And hopelessness, you know, occurs when we think it's permanent, uh, it's pervasive, and it'll, you know, never change. And when we can go back and, and capture joy, we start to realize that it isn't in every area of our lives. And pictures help. Pictures help all the time. I'm reminded of that when I first met my husband, we went to counseling the first year because we were both very hurt people. And the therapist suggested that I take a lot of pictures of us um, during good times and put them up so that my brain that wants to look at all of the things that can happen that are wrong because it wants to protect me is forced to look at moments of joy too so that I don't think that this is every moment of my life and it's really really interesting that we do have the power to create a practice of gratitude that will open the door and train our brains to look for moments of joy. And so I, th I think it's really, this is a, a very fruitful experience and it reinforces the whole idea of, you know, learning how to make joy a trait. You know, we're joy seekers. And, you know, I'll move on to happiness because um, I know that, um, that this perspective on happiness kind of helped me. It says, um, so, there isn't a consensus in the research for defining happiness, which I thought was really interesting, you know, that it's one of those words that um, emotional researchers don't actually, you know, kind of versus joy, they don't exactly know how to describe it. And it's because it's an ambiguous word to describe an entire realm of positive emotions. Uh, most of the research describes and examines happiness as a trait, like are we happy people, not necessarily a state, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I think that you could be a generally maybe unhappy person, um, but still find moments of joy. So happiness is a trait. It's people's usual level of happiness is stable and it's hereditary. Um, and it often, when somebody describes their life as a happy one, is just pos it's just the positive side of neutral. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuit of happiness, but this is, is one of the concepts that I thought was really amazing for me to understand. She says, sometimes the pursuit of happiness may get in the way of joy and gratitude. And she was explaining that as a parent, she could really see this because what made her children happy in the moment did not always lead to developing joy. And I was thinking about that in my own recovery. There were many times where what made me happy would have prevented growth. Um, you know, what makes my son happy doesn't, you know, Friday where he likes to hang out in his bedroom, he likes to have peace. You know, he's, he's got a lot of people helping him, but I had to push through what would make him happy and get him dressed up for the prom so that he could have moments of joy. And I could easily apply this to myself that what makes me happy doesn't necessarily set me up to have these great moments of joy. And I'm just curious and would love responses on that. Deanna, did you have 
uh, a similar experience or what was your experience when yeah, you the thought way about that, happiness and joy? Yeah, thank you. So uh, the way that I interpreted this, um, which was very different from what I had in my head, was that happiness is something that we work for. And I could be wrong in saying that, but the way I feel it inside is that oh, my connection is bad. Hopefully you can we hear can me. hear you. We can hear you. Okay. Um, that like, like you, like you talking about getting your son ready for the prom, which was, that is so fun. I saw the pictures. So cute. Um, it's, it's work to do, to get that happiness. It's, you know, maybe being a homeowner and having a home is, is what makes you happy or having lots of kids is what makes you happy, but it's work. You have to work for it. You, there are going to be moments that are not, um, joyful. There'll be jo moments of, of non-joy to that will get us to this happiness that we're seeking. But then I also very much agree that the pursuit of happiness can get in the way of those joyful moments. So it's a balance, I think, for myself. I think you're exactly right. And, and if you remember the definition, happiness is stable, long, longer lasting, and normally the result of effort. Mm -hmm but it is lower intensity than joy. And it's very self-focused. And I thought, wow, okay, uh, yeah. I mean, it is a, a result of effort um, versus having these moments of joy that perhaps you know don't come from inside of us. Um, Alice, you came up. I'd love to hear your perspective. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Christy, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Um, don't get to make it very often, um, but um, gosh, talking about this, and, and I want to add to Deanna, seeing you with Billy for prom, I was just, oh, I got tears in my eyes and a lump in my throat. That was so oh, beautiful. Thank you. It really was, sweetie. Um, so, um, wow, I've been, I've been on a roller coaster of this for the last three weeks. Well, really the last three months, but the last three weeks were really intense as I cleaned out my house of 25 years and 40 years worth of memories. And um, you talk about an emotional roller coaster. Ooh, um, I had all the feels. I had, you know, I had the joy. I had the pride. I had, the, you know, the unexpected finding a note from you know, a random person about something I had done and how much it meant to them. And, um, you know, notes from my ex-husband that, you know, kind of just kicked everything back into gear of, oh yeah, I made the right decision there. Um, you know, notes about my son when he was in school and he was struggling so much and gosh, it was just, um, you know, I look at to, I, I think about where I was then and where I am now and, um, you know, first and foremost, so incredibly grateful that I'm sober because this, none of this would have happened, um, had I still been drinking and, um, you know, that I didn't drink at this and I didn't drink because of it. Um, even going through having to basically empty my house, except what was going into the estate sale in about 10 days, um, was, I mean, I still look back at it and I don't know how I did it. I did it with a lot of incredible help, but, um, but we did it. And, um, you know, and now the process begins and, you know, I just, I am so immensely grateful that, 
the universe has shown up for me in spades and uh, things are coming together. And, you know, it's just, it's remarkable um, to look at it. But I did have those moments of just unexpected joy. And then boom, you know, five minutes later, I was down in the trenches again and then back up. So it was uh, quite a ride, but things are evening out. I'm in Tennessee now in my apartment and really processing the whole um, journey that, you know, this is it. I, I have made this choice and I'm happy about it, but you know, I'm already missing things about Fredericksburg and, you know, that's only natural. And I think that's what I have to remember is that's part of the process and it's okay to miss those things and to miss people. And, um, you know, I will create a new life here. I just right now don't have the emotional energy to do it. And I want to stay even keel and, um, I want to be at peace. And I, that's where I felt like I've been, um, you know, and if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't be able to have gone. To, I wouldn't have been able to go through this as, um, I want to say gracefully, um, as I have. And I'm in awe of that. Not that I'm, I sound like I'm <laughs> patting myself on the back, but um, maybe I am yeah. because, uh, you know, it was a lot. And uh, yeah, and I'm just so, like I said, just, I am just brimming with gratitude um that this has come together the way it's come together so so i'm not sure if that's on topic i hope it is i think it is <laughs> i just was feeling it when um you know they were someone i'm sorry someone was talking about um you know having a new home or 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 yeah. changing homes and well anyway uh, i'm going to go now i love <laughs> I'm, it i'm going to be quiet and listen well, first of all, let's normalize patting ourselves on the back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Yes, you ma'am. <laughs> you should. It's a long, you lived in that home a long time. And I love that, you know, that that's a great example of, you know, what makes you sometimes being okay with things that maybe don't give you happiness to open up the door to have some amazing moments of joy. I mean, that's the thing that helped me when I read this. And, you know, I may have known this before. I may not have. I don't know. But the whole idea that I can still find joy and that happiness is a, is a, is a result of effort and that I can continue to grow my ability to seek joy and do the things that are necessary in order for me to be happy. It's just so, I mean, the, the example of being a parent has been so helpful to, for me to be able to define this and kind of understanding it. Um, because if I can do it for Billy, I can do it for me too. And in that, that scenario that I described, that was exactly what happened. You know, what would have made me happy would have been to put my pajamas on at seven o'clock at night and put a pin in the week. But because I was focused on finding moments of joy, I was able to go through all of that. And now I have moments of joy to expand on. I'd love to hear what other people feel about the whole idea of that sometimes when we pursue happiness, we take away our moments for greater joy.
that's a that's a tough one Christina I feel like well it's not a tough one I feel like I'm it's such a process of of thinking of thinking of the things that bring us joy and what we've been working for and and for me it's like a balance and Kathy had said earlier something about her ego and also I feel like that deserves a pat on the back too now that I'm saying that yeah yeah um total that's awesome and I feel like I'm just thinking of what I'm working for in my life and and one of the I'm, I'm let me focus let me focus here I'm I volunteer at a juvenile detention facility, which I haven't been to consistently because of COVID, and I get to go tomorrow. And I am, I am so excited. I'm, I, being there. There are so many moments of joy when I'm there. It is hard. It is hard work. It's 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 all hard. It's all hard. But at at the end of it, I have so much joy from thinking back and thinking of a person's smile or thinking of somebody who didn't part wasn't wanting to participate and then ended up participating like that's such a great feeling for me when someone didn't want to participate and then gets something benefits from it that brings me so much joy and so like i don't even know what i'm saying right now i'm just kind of digging my heels into feeling joy and being okay I know what I'm doing. I'm being okay with the hard work it takes to to have happiness because you know what I do deserve joy and happiness as the book says that Dolly Parton wrote that song which I didn't know um the Whitney Houston song that she sings joy and happiness. Yes. yes. We do deserve both of those things. So I think that's just why I'm digging my heels into that right now that I deserve joy and happiness in my life and going through the process of finding that and having it is okay. And the things that I'm feeling are okay as I'm, as I'm processing this. So that's how I feel about that. All right. Thank you. I think we'll move on to calm, which I had never thought of as an emotion, you know, like, and, and I'm not sure that she totally describes calm as an emotion, but it's certainly a trait that I would like to, you know, possess. And I would tell everybody, if you're new in recovery, this, um, this is, you know, as I say this, this is no judgment whatsoever if you don't feel calm. I mean, it was one of the things that I would discuss, you know, anyway, if you want to see me go from zero to 100, tell me to relax or calm down, right? <laughs> I was going to get you for saying that. And so, I love uh, looking at the definition of calm, which is creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. Calm people bring perspective to complicated situations and feeling the emotions without a large reactivation. And that's different than disassociating. Hello, Bella, thanks for coming up. Um, and in the book of uh, The Imperfection, book, uh, she talks about some of the questions that she asked people who described themselves as being calm or who other people described them as being calm. And she said, you know, these are some of the questions which I think are really helpful. Did they think their calmness was a trait or a state? Or was it both? Was it a practice? Did maintaining calm take work or was it a default setting? 
Did they see calm growing up? Was it modeled? Did they remember learning it? And this really kind of made me pull back and, and be like, I absolutely knew the difference between me and somebody who had done the work. You know, I really did. But I never thought of calm being something that I strive for until I started uh, listening to her book um, and pulling calm apart. Um, she says that people who are calm um, have themes and patterns that continually emerge. So if you are a calm person, you will continue to cultivate actions that bring calm. Uh, they're behavior specific, cultivating and maintaining calm is asking a lot of questions of ourself. Um, the actual process of calm is made up of three different things. It's breath, it's perspective taking, and it's staying curious. And I thought, wow, okay. So that means that I don't have to wait to be a calm person. I can take action and start talking about it um, and thinking about it as a concept of, I want to bring more calm into my life. Um, do you match? So these are, the, these are the three questions that are the three components of calm. Calm is an intention. Do you want to infect people with more anxiety or heal ourselves and the people around us with more calm? You know, do we match the pace of anxiety when things are hard or do we slow things down with breath and tone? Do we have all, a third question, do we have all the information we need to make a decision or form a response? What do we need to ask or learn before we can respond? And she boiled it down to two questions that she asks herself every time because she explained that one of her intense curiosities is that she didn't describe herself as a calm person. And these are the two questions. Do I have enough information to freak out? Usually that's no, right? Um, maybe sometimes it's yes. And then the second question she asks herself is, will freaking out help the situation? And she said the answer is always no. And that's how she stops the emotional surge and the reactivity toward a situation. Deanna, what did you think about calm? I, <laughs> I loved this and I, I am gonna say firmly believe, I, uh, I firmly believe for myself that calm is a practice. And as you can possibly hear, I am intentionally slowing down my breath and my speaking because I do run at high anxiety level. I have anxiety a lot of the times. So I have to practice. I start my day every morning actually um, with a meditation, a pause, breathe, reflect meditation every morning. And I have to continually do it throughout my day because I do run at high energy. And it's it's a turnoff to myself if I find myself like if I'm telling my dad, my dad used to say to me, Deanna, downshift, like a car, downshift. And so I'm 38 years old and I still tell myself downshift. So I'd like to hear about, yeah. welcome yeah. Bella. Yes, Bella, thanks for coming up. Hi, thank you very much for uh, the different perspectives. Um, as the saying goes, all roads lead to Rome. Um, 
I, f I came up because of the um, the discussion on happiness and joy, and then we came to calm. I, I, and I love the three definitions. Um, for me, having been through trauma, I think calmness is being present. Um, when we're in a state of anxiety, we're often thinking about the future. What will happen if this happens? What will happen if this happens? So we enter into the sympathetic response of fight or flight. And when you are running away from a lion, you only see one solution. This is not the time to look at other solutions or look at new ones. When you're present, you're in the parasympathetic response, as the polyvagal theory has shown, and the parasympathetic response is governed largely by the vagus nerve, which runs from the bottom of your spine all the way to the back of your brain and it picks up information. Uh, it's very active in the gut and the heart. The parasympathetic nerve slows down the heart and the sympathetic um, nervous system speeds up the heart. So the vagus nerve picks up all these responses to the brain, what are we going to do now? And the brain says, okay, we're going to do this. So when you're calm, the responses going up to the brain is it's a lot less. And the brain is there, uh, if I can say this in a linear fashion, a very simplistic fraction, to protect you. So when you're in a state of bliss or you're doing something you love or you are present, you can access joy because you're accessing the inner sense, the inner essence of who you are. And when I work with refugees and, uh, you know, they may have lost everything, but there was a sense of joy which was intrinsic. Happiness is reactive. You can be sad and see something that makes you happy. You can hear some music playing and you'll be happy. But joy does not emanate from our senses. It's an intrinsic um, value. And when you're present and you're in your bliss, like you see a wonderful sunset, it brings you joy, not happiness, because it's not reactive. It connects with the essence of who you are. You can't describe what it is that is making you feel that inner inner sense and when when i speak on clubhouse and uh, when i used to practice uh, patients used to say oh you're so you know doctor you're so calm and i said what <laughs> miss anxiety phd but it's because I was doing something that I love and I was being present and I needed to be present in order 
to listen to what the patient was saying. I needed to be present to, to connect with the divine essence of who I was and to get the answers. You know, people, I've said it a lot, people say, oh, um, you know, I don't like doctors because they think they know everything, etc. But most of the great scientists and, and others have have always known that there was a divine intelligence behind everything. And in order to be able to connect with the divine intelligence source, God, um, love, whatever you want to call it, you need to be present. And in that presence, you access things which are not reactive, which mm. keeps you calm. Um, I hope that's my perspective anyway. Uh, thank you very much, I'm Bella, and I'm complete. Thank you, Doctor. I so appreciate you coming up and sharing that. And that's one of the main purposes of this room is to understand how we can change our brains and we can actually actively learn these concepts. So I love, I love that you shared. Thank you. Um, Kat came up and I want to make sure that we get to you, Kat, next, and then we will be shutting the room down and picking up where we left off next week. Kat, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for um, keeping it open. I'll make it quick, um, but thank you for holding the space and thank you for everyone shares. We're talking about some of the greatest gifts in life. And um, yeah, and I've just enjoyed the conversation and reflecting on calm. Um, I feel like is the natural um, place in like it's a natural rhythm in life um, I was reading something the other day and it was like when, whenever you're feeling anxiety you know um, take care of yourself put lotion on you know for me it's like cutting vegetables um, you know it feels like waves washing over you being in water and there's this natural rhythm to it like um, the breath right in out in out and like being able to center myself in that rhythm and find that rhythm is um i don't know i it i appreciate it more and more as life goes on because yeah despite any circumstances you can always return to that calm because it uh, i think it really resides in every every living thing but um yeah I just wanted to share on calm. Thank you for holding the space and I'm done speaking. Well, thank you. I love that. Um, I love that. Everything everybody shared today. Next week, we'll pick up with contentment, um, which I think is a huge, huge goal. Um, and I just want to say thank you to my coma, Deanna. Thank you for everybody who came and stayed. I hope that this gave you a little information and some language to actively cultivate um, a, a trait of joy, happiness, and calm. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.